Welcome to the Food Grower Podcast, the podcast that tells the story, highlights the techniques and talks tactics with food growers from all around the world. From market gardeners to allotment holders, field farmers to urban farmers, we hope that this podcast will inspire you to either start growing your own food or to help develop your existing food growing empire. I'm Chris from Fanfield Farm and it's my pleasure to introduce to you my co-host today, Jack from the one and only Jack's Patch. Jack, how are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, Chris. Good to good to chat. Good to chat. You spent the most of the day on the farm today. Um, yeah, so at, just watering as as we're going for a really really hard spring. Um, <laughs> drier days, cold nights. Um, yeah, it, it's pretty crazy for us growers at the minute, and. Um, yeah, and we're, we're all moaning about it, but I think it's what we signed up for, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah, I do. You always moan about it, and then everyone says, yeah, but you live the dream, don't you? And I'm like, yeah, but I'm still allowed to moan, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's part <laughs> yeah. of it. It has been a tough April, though, man. I completely feel that. Um, so, yeah, to give people who are listening or tuning into this at sort of a first-time look, um, we want to get straight into the good stuff, but just... We both um, have uh, sort of food growing projects going on, different sort of looks and views at different things. And we wanted to sort of come together and, and put our views together, but also interview other food growers and hopefully inspire people to, to either build what they're doing or keep going through difficult springs like this or, or start their own projects. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we've come together on this podcast to do exactly that. Um, so we're on the field but we want to teach people whether their environment's different like off the field so if you're in an urban environment something maybe better for you right now would be like microgreens and mushrooms um or if you can get together with friends you don't have time like get a uh, allotment together so you can kind of all share share the time because it is it does take time a lot of knowledge as well um and hopefully we can be like a a quick step access to that knowledge by sticking it in your ear while you're at the allotment so you're learning as as you're doing which are i think would be great so now, that's why i love podcasts there's very few times where you can like be listening about an activity whilst doing the activity it's only podcasts that can do that and like, you can't learn about diy by watching a video and doing it at the same time you're gonna put drill drill holes all over the wall aren't you so yeah this podcast is hopefully be able to be sort of yeah inspiration whilst you're doing it which would be cool so the first two episodes um we wanted to sort of talk about our projects that are going on so we thought we would take the format that we're going to use um sort of interview format or well, more of a chat, really, but with with growers. Um, but talk about um, first your projects and, and what you've got going on and what you're passionate about, and then the next episode will be a flip of that, and you'll take charge and and drill me on on those things as well. So, so tell me a bit about Jack's Patch, what it is, and and sort of what you do. So, Jack's Patch is a regenerative farm. So, I've adopted. Uh, techniques like no dig and permaculture um kind of stem from years back five six years ago um working on a farm in australia and only working there had no inkling of ever to get into farming um but it was more i had to do my 88 days agricultural work um so it's kind of like i had to get on a farm but then when i was on the farm i was just absolutely blown away by how this farm worked the guy was a soil scientist and um yeah just amazing how the farm just really played into how nature intended so the animals were there they were was using manure they were just uh, tilling the beds um they were kind of free as well which i loved um he had everything working in harmony, loads of interplanting. Um, I just found it really, really cool. So that sparked my interest. And also uh, by eating that food, it really woke me up to how good food should taste <laughs> as well. Uh, not just the supermarket crap I'd eaten for the last uh, 23 years before that. It really was like a light bulb moment for me, eating that first farm fresh meal. I was like, oh my God, that's what a tomato should taste like. That's what a potato should taste like. It was just a new sensation. And I was like, what is this guy doing? What's he putting in the ground here? But it was just like, he just said, man, we're just hot leveraging nature by using 
these regenerative models, i.e. permaculture. And then it kind of just sent me down a bit of a rabbit hole when I got home, carried on the momentum of having an allotment. Uh, like when I got home, got absolutely rinsed by my mates at the age of 25. Uh, <laughs> have it, feel like you've turned into a right hip and you've come back from Australia. And now you're growing food and you're, you're skipping coming to the pub with us for shoveling manure. And, uh, yeah, it, it was really at the, at the first I was getting a, a lot of uh, abuse from my mates, but there was something in me to be like, no, this is this is something. I love the buzz around food when I was out in Australia. Uh, and then also coming home, developing new techniques. So again, finding Charles Dowden and the Nodig method as well, another regenerative method where instead of what everyone was doing at the allotment, which was digging the soil, tilling it, rotating it, and just seeing just seeing it dry out. Uh, and, and it didn't look like the soils I'd, I was kind of used to in Australia. I was like, it looked super dry and, and there was just weeds everywhere. Like you could go off the allotment and it, it wouldn't be as bad as on the allotment. I feel like they just bring the weeds to the surface and it just, everyone seemed like they were really fighting against it instead of with it. And then uh, luckily being in, having worked on a permaculture farm, then watching Charles Dowding's videos, I was realising, oh no, we should be working with it. And how to do that is by observing it. And yeah, it was just crazy. And then again, I was missing traveling and I was what, thinking, how can I incorporate traveling and some learning and then uh, I booked the first hit on Google that said permaculture and it said Costa Rica <laughs> nice and five days five days later I was in the middle of the jungle on a Costa Rican um, on a permaculture course on the Caribbean coast of Costa Rica so I threw myself in it um, and then now um, luckily I have my own bit of land through long story really but kind of developing the allotment and then posting it online Someone saw what I was doing and then said, oh, you'd be great on um, on my nan's land and developing what you're doing now. So, yeah, it was great. And um, really feel like I, I now I'm doing what I wanted to do for the last, since ever watching the first few videos on on Curtis Stone's model and, and being on those permaculture courses, I'm like doing what I dreamt of when I was there. And it, I, I'm, I feel like I, I've pat myself on the back from... Uh, kind of making that path then getting out the nine to five getting away from my electrician job as much as possible and, and and kind of as what we just said we're living the dream but yeah it has its stresses and it's 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 down points but ultimately we're eating fresh food we're providing for our community uh, and we're working with nature and ultimately I think that's a really uh I think it's just good for your, for your mental health, your soul. I think it's kind of what we're meant to be. We're meant to be like working the land, be stewards of the land. And I, I absolutely love it, mate. Yeah, man. I mean, anyone, we've, we've known each other for a while, but I think anyone who is doing those things and, and gets out of the normal nine to five to do that deserves a congratulations. So congratulations, man. It's, it's an incredible thing to be doing and, and and it's great so um there's a couple of things in there you, you touched on i want to sort of drill down on and we will be throughout this but just just sort of an observation that it seems like when you're in australia you're observing things that we're starting to see more in the mainstream now so you've got films like the biggest little farm that came out that really looked at those principles of using animals and working with nature and that sort of thing to build what essentially was a was a humongous um permaculture farm in the states and then you've seen the um Kiss the Ground documentary on Netflix, which talks about a lot of that as well, especially in the no dig methods or no till methods, if you are um, across the Atlantic. So it seems like you managed to experience some of that firsthand, like as some of your first experiences in, in growing. Yeah, so I just was lucky. I was in the right place, right time to for that guy to walk in our hostel and was like, I need five lads. And the guy sat, like we were drinking beers yeah. at the table in front of the reception. And the guy there, we got on really well with and He was like, you, 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 go and help this guy. Mm. And we were always looking for, everyone's looking for farm work when they get to Australia. It's like in your head, you're like, oh, farm for three months. You think it's all going to be nice and dandy, but... 90% of the farms in Australia, is going, it's going to be a hard slog or you're going to be in the sticks and you, it's going to be, like just 
like banana farming it's like monoculture but i was so lucky and it and it's kind of paved my life since then it's put me on a road to like where i am today is that i worked in a permaculture farm and the guy was at uh, i think he almost founded he's got a foundation called organic matters and he founded like organic farming in australia or something or is a big leader in australia for the organic movement and um yeah, so he was just dropping knowledge bombs while we was having lunch. He just was telling us about all the farms he'd worked on. He used to fly around the South Pacific um, in like a little uh, water plane and going from island to island certifying the soil as organic. Um, he even worked with celebrities um, certifying like what we had won. I won't like name drop, <laughs> uh, but he, he was on loudspeed chronophone. He was demanding to have an edible golf course. And now uh-huh. I, since doing permaculture courses, I realized that that's, that is possible. There is mm. ways of doing that. Um, and at first I was like, this guy's mad. But um, <laughs> I think when you know where, what to plant, where to plant in, how some food has like a grass shoot, like, like peanuts and stuff, um, you actually think, oh, this is actually really possible. And he, he was like, he, he knew how to make it happen. So I was very drawn to him and his method. So, yeah, I feel like Australia as well as a whole, they're, they're five, ten years ahead of us in the food game, the fitness game, um, potentially like in the whole health, wellness, eating better, being, working with the land. They were ahead. And it took me for me to come home back to the UK and realise, whoa, I couldn't get, I couldn't get the food I was eating there and I started to only really only get that food at like whole foods or really, really niche places. And over the last five, 10 years, I've seen it become more of a mainstream thing here. Thanks to like potentially those documentaries that are producing maybe more farmers, but, and it, it becoming a little bit more trendy as well. But yeah, I, I feel like, um, it's it's birthing here. We're 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 talking about it now, but we're only like two, three years in, and I, I feel like the Americans, everyone we look up to and watch, they're like eight, ten years in. So there's a real opportunity in this country for this to just go explode, and and hopefully through the podcast we can inspire people to kind of follow the journeys of our story and other journeys of the stories we're going to talk to over the next coming weeks and months yeah completely that's what you've um yeah bottled up exactly what we hope we can we can do so um people listening will have to tell us if we've smashed that in like 10 20 30 50 episodes and see how we get on (laughs) it's mad though isn't it you say like you had to get those foods from um whole food shops and and even now like health food shop is still something we call a health food shop which is bonkers it's like saying the same word twice it's like calling it a food food shop because food is meant to be all about your health and the fact that we have to actually identify some food shops as health food shops is bonkers so i think we do have a way to go over here um but people are, are starting to wake up you um you did mention it there but you you obviously before you went to australia you weren't a farmer you weren't growing food you were you're an electrician right yeah so i was electrician working in the city from the age of 17 but in that environment as well it's like oh um oh let's go down the calf and you just see in like very i'd say like english staples of like omelette and i think this is before i stopped like I mean, this is way before I stopped eating meat and stuff, but this was like like gammon and chips and a fry up every day. And my, my food on my plate was for substance. It wasn't, I wasn't eating for, for health. It was just to like keeping me going kind of thing. And I, I never really cared of like, oh, where that carrot come from or where, whether it was organic or not. Um, and, I, and I know now, like I can like uh, relate to my mates when they say they don't care. I'll just put myself in the shoes that I was before I was open to all these possibilities of like farming and, and and traveling and eating fresh food from different countries. So I I can understand because it's our food culture here is everyone else's food culture. We think Italian, Chinese, Indian foods, I say English food is like a roast dinner or pub food. (laughs) Um, and, it, and everyone moans about it when I travel. Like uh, the Aussies were like, oh, you have chips and peas with everything. And I was like, oh, I didn't realise. <laughs> people start throwing it in your face, like how our food culture is not 
really it's not much is it it's not um and we have we have indian we restaurants have all the food here. we do but we, we we have indian restaurants we have chinese restaurants but you go to india or china they haven't got english food restaurants i guarantee i don't think there's english food restaurants around the world that are hoping to get locals in they sometimes put them in holiday makers places so you can get a fry up or a, or a roast but there's no yeah. english food so yeah i completely get it um but the exciting thing is, especially for growers, is that we do, as you say, have restaurants from almost every culture across the globe here, especially if you're going to like, yeah. London City and stuff. So you could be growing not just carrots and potatoes, but you could be growing almost anything um, as long as you, you can make it work with the climate and, and finding a supply chain for that stuff um, into, yeah, Sorry. world foods all over the place. So it's, yeah, an exciting thing. Um yeah, obviously you you're an electrician back then. Have you seen transferable skills that you could take from that into this? Yeah, I, I'm I'm glad you said mm. that because I, I I feel like if you do have like a skill, like you you have skills as well that have harnessed your business yeah. uh, as well, Chris. That like we'll get onto another time. But um, yeah, being an electrician is just work like working in the construction industry, just knowing how to use. Uh, power tools and, and measuring like for example i built a shipping container where i do microgreens and mushrooms from scratch um yeah just like insulating it knowing what insulation to use knowing what type of thickness of wood to use and then ultimately wiring it up so it worked to my capacity um uh, and again like working on a farm like building cold frames um using pallets uh, and cutting them up to make uh, compost bays and then a uh, wash pack station recently done. Yeah, just uh, using a skill saw, cut the wood, dr- drills, use the right screws that i got. And then, yeah, just a little bit of plumbing, like using pipes to do the wash pack station. And I've, I had a DeWalt leaf blower, put that in, and then we've got a motorised leaf jacuzzi now. So um, <laughs> You have the best treated salad in the world, you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah five star treatment for the customers but you put it on instagram and people love mm. it and i actually got a, a dm today saying they saw that video and they want some salads so <laughs> uh it, it it does like if you if you show what you're doing and it, it, it we're learning as we're going like all grows like the beautiful thing about this space is no one's no one's completed it mm. uh, everyone's learning all the time and and yeah but just being an electrician i feel like i'm if if you have any skills whatsoever, whether that's uh, construction or like marketing and stuff like that, they all play into what we're doing now. So yeah, just those skills they do leverage up, um, leverage up a farm, uh, and it's helped me a lot. I, I really used to moan about it, but now I couldn't be more grateful for it. And I, th- I think you're spot on there. I think that most people would that get into growing haven't had a relevant job even if it's in construction or marketing but you'd be surprised how transferable skills are I mean I start my first ever job at the age of 13 on three pounds an hour was just working behind the till in a fruit and veg shop and if yeah. you'd asked me four or five years ago before I started growing like this whether I thought that would ever be useful in my life I'd have said no now I think about it more and more every every day and it's yeah incredibly so yeah I'd imagine anyone listening to this who think oh no my job is not relevant at all I promise you there will be a transferable skill that um that helps in some way yeah definitely more so than anything like you you learn at school sometimes it's just life skills and and, uh, yeah it just I think it 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 hammers in that work ethic as well. And I think that's super important, especially with what we do. Because, yeah, you're going to be you're putting in a lot of hours, you're going to be busy, but you go, sometimes like it, you work hard and you work smart, but I think it is important. Uh, I feel like being on site and even having bosses that were like, you couldn't be... Uh, you couldn't be seen doing nothing, so you, you make yourself busy. Yeah. And I feel like that work ethic, in the UK especially... Because when I was in Australia, I seemed to get a lot of work because of the work ethic of how we work in this country. I just seem to get all the hours under the sun, and I feel like we're that—that that is a good thing here. We do work hard, but that is—that is a transferable skill in this industry, especially. So, yeah, uh, that is one thing I, I'd say um, a lot of Brits in do do have it in a yeah. way. 
definitely he's a good worker for definitely well there's one transferable skill and there will be thousands of others um I want to talk about your space a little bit. So you've been, you you have a market garden um, that you've been running for a couple of years now, which is, if you don't mind me saying, always looks in abundance. It looks absolutely incredible. So can you talk to us a little bit about that space? Yeah, sure. I was super lucky to get it. um, But I feel sometimes when you put something out to the universe, it, it kind of comes at you in an abundance as well because I was putting the energy out there even when I had an allotment I'd even say on my Instagram profile um, documenting my journey from allotment to farm it's like you put it out there um, and, and I was running the allotment like it was a farm uh, in a way I was just trying to adapt skills I was always like uh, trying to grow weird and wonderful things almost like as a test ground that like, Oh, that I really like that tomato variety. And then when I get my farm, I'll, I'll keep that tomato variety. But yeah, it, it, the good thing was it was going from a, like a real small allotment space to uh, it. At first it was like an eighth of an acre and now it's a quarter of an acre. Um, but very luckily the space I'm on, I inherited a huge greenhouse space, which has been like I've used to my advantage, which has been great. It's been the nursery for a lot of plants and then there's a fenced off area that I first got to use which at first it was llamas and sheep next to it and the first three days I was there the farmer actually put the sheep and llamas in there the grass was like head high and they just plowed it to (laughs) uh like perfect it was perfect really they just went in edit to a a lawn, what a lawnmower would do mm. pretty much but then pooed everywhere and I was just like yeah. thumbs up for, for free manure which was great um, and then the best thing I'd done was as I got that bit of land is I booked myself onto Charles Dowding's course mm. um, and I'd done the course and the light bulb moment for me was I, uh, I thought I had to wait for some reason but I asked Charles about when to put the cardboard down when to get going I was like waiting for spring and I'd done his course in December and he was like do it now he was like just get started because you've got a lot of work to do he's just like get a cardboard down now get the soil down I had a tarp over it um, so for the list, new listeners the tarp is just to lay over the field kind of kill off the grass but then that grass turns into organic matter for the microbes and the worms and when you peel it back it looks like great where it turns into great soil so i was doing that but then peeling back as i was going laying the cardboard laying my um my compost down and the wood chip paths in it and it got growing but dowding gave me a blueprint seeing his farm and being on that course that weekend it was like oh this is how you do it this is how uh, these are the size of the beds i need to uh, do these are some of the techniques have the uh, compost bay was like the first thing I, uh, I put in uh, because ultimately you're going to have a lot of waste so it's like moving that all into the compost bay and then you're making your own soil from day one um, and then yeah man just got going and in six months and it was mostly on my own I had a few volunteers but no one could see the end goal they're just like, oh, I'm just going to be in a wet, muddy field for like a day. So they, so a lot of it was like my own work, but I'd say thanks to like the no dig methods and uh, for for giving me the blueprint. And it, and it is an easy blueprint. It's less back breaking work. You're just building the soil up instead of tilling it and, and creating yourself more headaches with more weeds. But in six months, I had a before and after picture of how it looked to how it looked six months later. And I was selling food and I was Doped. I was getting the traffic of the yoga studio next door. The uh, people coming in for that were buying boxes, and it was marketing itself through Instagram. And then a few chefs heard about it and just wanted the fresh produce, and yeah, just got going that way. It's amazing, and I love that point of of getting going now. That's the, I mean, British people don't need any more excuses not to do something, do we? I think we'll always make plenty of excuses yeah. not to do something, but that is it is the key. And and you might be listening to this thinking, oh yeah, but I've been waiting for my allotment for like six months, and there's still thirty people ahead of me, or um, I'm I'm in in flats, and 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 I do feel that pain. But there is always something you can do, and and some of uh, Jack's experience in growing microgreens and mushrooms and things like that 
you're going to be inspired by that because that's something you can do almost immediately in any space that you have. As long as you've got a window, you've got some space to grow. So uh, yeah. And the, and the crazy thing is you don't even need a window for <laughs> yeah. mushrooms. They're, like that's the great thing about it. I think I always, people ask me on other podcasts or, or like DM me, like, where do I start? And I say, start with some, like a lot of people buy a tomato plant, but mm. me and you know how long <laughs> a tomato takes to get a tomato. So you've got to be making sure that tomato is healthy for a good couple of months before you're going to get anything from it. But I feel like a quick win is like microgreens. Seven days, you're getting food that's going to be on your plate, taste the difference, and you'll get that little quick win of that seven days growth is going to make you feel good. Like, oh, I can grow something. Uh, and I, I know me and you know full well, like that, that's a winner. That Like that food to to see, to cut, to for that being on your plate and you're eating it like as you're cutting it, like, wow, like you can't beat that and that's going to go in his sandwich within five minutes and and you've grown that and that for me that is the best best way to start microgreens and it can be easier you can you don't have to have a lot of fancy equipment you can cut open a little uh, milk carton or like an orange orange juice carton put some soil in it sprinkle some seeds have a little cover on it they'll germinate water daily in a sunny window, bang, you, you're done. You're done. It's amazing. Uh, and I think that, yeah. Growing it's just food so in seven it, days it, is bonkers. It's it's such a great it feeling, but it's it's achievable. It's completely achievable. And the taste of microgreens is something else. If you've never had microgreens or sprouts, like plant sprouts or anything, it's just like all the flavour of the big plant condensed in down into a, a small amount that you can grow in seven days. It, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, and, and me and you both know a lot of food like a, like a squash or courgette, etc. It's all water retention. So when it is uh, condensed in a smaller version of itself and that in a micro version of itself, you're getting all that nutrition, all uh, like everything that plant is going to give to you at a mature level, you're getting it tenfold in a micro level. So as well as it, yeah, it tastes good. You're going to get the maximum nutrition value. And and I just think it's an absolute no-brainer. And there's there's plenty of videos on your Instagram about growing microgreens and different ways of doing that. So anyone listening who thinks, I want to give that a go, but I don't know enough information, check out Jack's Patch on Instagram because there's, yeah, loads of information. And, and I only started really... Um, with microgreens this year and I turned to you so um for my advice so yeah definitely check that out thanks Bob. I want to trek back a little bit so you you've you spoke about Charles Dowding a lot um definitely a resource to check out you've spoken about um no dig farming and what that is I just want to see what sort of part of no dig farming is like the most important part of that for you like what made you make the decision to be a no dig farm because there are a lot of easy parts to it but there are difficult parts as well so what made you make that decision it was more it doesn't fit for me it was more the soil health but you're building it, it just made so much sense when they're like you're making soil so that you're building the soil profile up mm. and then you're not taking away from the earth like i think it's kind of basic in permaculture as well is the whole word um, it's one step further than sustainable. It's regenerative. So it's actually having more output than input, um, which I think our world is like so backwards. That, like even in the construction industry, the amount of input to make a building and the amount of waste, it, it just doesn't make sense. Mm. So for me, yeah, with no dig is the input, you're going to get maximum output. You're going to get a lot more coming back to you because you're, you're leveraging a a perfect system which is nature and then you feed it and it's just going to go thanks and then give you it all back in a tenfold so yeah it's more the abundance factor of it as well i mean you look at charles's videos like oh his garden looks incredible but obviously that's a few years of no dig but after one year of no dig well six months of no dig i was getting crazy good produce um and i was shocked how well it worked considering how little that soil had like hit the ground and i think you i think a lot of people say oh it's got to like mix together and it's got to sit there for a while to like um kind of make that connection and and whatever but as you're feeding it you're adding to the mycelium network that's already there and it's working its way into it worms are dragging that new fresh compost 
down into the ground and it's loosening that soil. So, yeah, it was more the fact that I'm giving back to Mother Nature. Like that's it. To be honest, my mates were a little bit right. I did come back from Australia a bit hippie because <laughs> I, I, I kind of I'm into that sort of like the the spiritual side of like looking after the planet and um very green fingered and yeah, I, I think it's a bit of a no brainer. But the whole uh, microbiology as to the gut, your gut flora as well, it's a lot healthy bacteria in that soil than if it was to be tilled. It seems to just tick so many boxes. For me, it's feeding the ground to get good output, more output than input. Yeah. 100% and and soil health as well it's something that's really important I'll go back to that Kiss the Ground documentary on Netflix it really sort of drills home how soil could solve a lot of the problems that we're seeing being addressed on a, on a global stage and being talked about on a global stage maybe not as urgently as we'd like but they are being talked about now and soil health is, is going to be one of the most important factors in that and, and No Dig makes complete sense with that completely yeah. um, obviously we're both uh, what we're and I hate using this this term because I don't think it's a fair term, but we're both small scale growers, right? Um, and that is I hate using that term because I don't think we are, but it compares us to conventional agriculture where you need over like fifty to one hundred acres to be considered a farmer. Um, but what I do want to look at is that we are both small scale growers and I think that there's an importance to small scale farming in this country and yeah we are sort of catching up to some of the trends we're seeing from from across the pond but um, we've still got a bit of a way to go and we are very much at the cusp of it so I wanted to sort of get your feelings on small scale farming and how important that could be to our to our country and food network. Yes small scale farming I mean people think big egg feeds the world um, but what I was looking at that. What documentary is it? Um, I'll, I'll remember in a minute. But they actually say like a lot of a lot of the big egg is like cereal and stuff like that. And it's actually a really small percentage when it comes to veg. Um, it's like the small scale growers are like holding holding a lot of it down across the world. So yeah, small scale farming is. It's a big thing, but it seems like there, there just needs to be more of us. I feel like 90% of farmers are over 60 yep. as well. And we need like a new wave of growers to come through. And it's about making it cool again. Uh, because I think it is ultimately going back. It's like a political act going back to the land and also feeding your community, uh, eating good food. And, and what we're saying about uh, food culture, we realise how much food we can grow in this country. Uh, and we can push the boundaries of like uh, heat tolerant crops as well. I mean, like I've even given like ginger a go and uh, like being subtropical, but what we know Mediterranean plants grow well here, like tomatoes, your aubergine, your peppers, your chilies, um, all the way down to cold tolerant crops as well. So I feel like we have a very far, vast range and is, it can be a big success here as well, which is great. Um, and uh, there's a really cool stat as well that back in the day, Paris used to be run. So uh, the food chain of Paris used to be run solely off like a couple of market gardeners around the city and they used to feed the city. Um, and we can go back to that. All it takes is like uh, a farm like myself and Fanfield to be in a community and feed that community. You could have two farms per community like we you could actually it's not a capitalist thing you could say let's work together like i might be better at growing kale than yourself because of the environment you're in but you might be have some wicked beets and then we go we we have like boxes where it's like oh let, can i borrow some of your beets and you borrow some of my kale like we can ultimately get to that point it's not like oh there's already a grower in my town there might be something you're really good at that they're all like not as good at and you can work together and I, f I feel like there's so much scope in this space it's incredible we're as we said we're quite young in market gardening but we're we feel like there's a lot of farmers who are like now becoming big in their community but they're only two three years in and it's like we know growers who are like one year in and they're already getting like ridiculous amount of sign-ups for their boxes. So, yeah, this, this small-scale farming is going to rock and it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and 
we want you to be a part of it big time and and the time feels right as well not just because of those reasons but i'm not going to get political on this podcast but you look at supply chains breaking down through brexit and, and the negotiations that happened and look at christmas when when all the ships got stuck at between kent and france and then you look yeah. at the fact that this year people have sort of got more passionate about where their food comes from being touched by less hands because of dare i say the c word but the the, the covid pandemic and and yeah so it, it's a time that people are being more thoughtful about what they're eating um there's a lot of documentaries coming out not just about farming but a bit about about the way that food is produced or the way that for food is being caught or farmed so yeah it's it's paved the way all those things whilst they can seem like a real sort of negative feed on the news feeds and you don't want to be doom scrolling through them but for growers or farmers food producers they could be a real opportunity so yeah we we need to group together as you say make it cool again and 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 and, yeah get on board it's it's going to be an amazing year and an amazing couple of years i think and that, another thing as well, it's always been an industry that seems far away. So the supermarket packages it, but you don't know the grower with what we're doing. Obviously, we're marketing what we're doing, but you can physically watch us plant your food, harvest your food, and then we're delivering it as well. So you know the the transparency in that as well. And I feel like that gives that, uh, that buyer a lot more confidence that the food is good, the food is healthy. They can go visit the farm, talk to the farmer. And I think that's something that you can't do right now. Yeah, 100%. I saw a brilliant poster during um, back back in March last year, and it said that um, a, set, a sort of fruit and veg that you get from the standard one of the big six supermarkets has touched between twenty six and twenty eight pairs of hands before it gets wow. into your home. Like it's the same for you or my farm; it's one, maybe two pairs of hands at the absolute most. So, um, yeah, yeah it's, it's an incredible place to be. I want to touch on on permaculture. You've done a course; it's you can see that it's something that really runs through your your current market garden. I want to talk about the the importance that permaculture has to you, and could you give us sort of three principles that that are most important in your market garden at the moment? Yeah, so. I'm glad you touched on that because permaculture for me, like once I saw permaculture in first hand and like it wasn't just reading a book, it was like being on a farm and then hearing the word and they were like, Oh yeah, it's a permaculture farm and and then clicking that it just wasn't like any type of farm. It just the harmony between the farmer and nature realizing that instead of being at a pyramid where you're at the top, you're a part of like a whole ecology and you're a piece of the jigsaw puzzle as much you've got as much right there on that farm as that bee, that chicken, like that is part of a system, which I absolutely love. And I mean, I don't have animals on the farm. I have like insects, like beneficial insects, and I'm trying to draw them in. And one of my principles is I love uh, to incorporate flowers on the plot. The great thing about that as well is that all the flowers that I do incorporate to attract the beneficial pollinators is they're edible. So they're not just doing a job for the getting in the insects. They're also going into the salad mix. They're going to chefs as well. And people can actually try this food. So, and that's something I, I didn't know about when I was a lot, when I was like, oh, old people grow flowers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was just trying to grow. I was just trying to grow the veg. And I just didn't understand when I saw people have like loads of marigolds and stuff like that. And then realizing that marigolds actually, the, the, they smell, they have like a really strong smell. I'm not a big, big fan of it, but neither stuff like cutworm. They hate the smell of it and they chop your lettuce like literally it's almost like the sun scorch your lettuce but they're eating the root from inside and they hate the smell of marigold roots so you put the marigolds amongst your lettuce they disperse um and it's like like magic really so you're not using pesticides which is a massive bonus certain plants are drawing certain insects so we're planting them we're eating them as well like so Stuff that I use is borage, uh, cornflower, nasturtiums, calendula, marigold, viola, to name a few. Oh, comfrey as well is a great one. But yeah, you're bringing in those good insects to eat the bad insects. So it's just a complete closed loop system where you don't, you're not using any more stuff that you don't need to use, like herbicides, pesticides. You don't don't need any of that stuff. Like nature is perfect. You just need to be a steward of the land and put those things in place. So you don't need to use any silliness like slug pellets and, and, and whatever. So, 
Yeah, I think beneficial flowers, but also intercropping as well. So to harness like my lettuce bed, uh, the circumference of the lettuces go along the bed, but there's always that little space in between and I'm growing spring onion up, which has been a really great intercrop. Um, tomato and basil, the smell of the basil deters away a pest from the tomato and ultimately you're getting two crops in one. And then what I feel like as well, if it grows well together, it usually tastes well together. So tomato and basil is yes. a really popular <laughs> Italian dish. And it's just mad. It just has all these interwoven connections. And then once you start putting these pieces together, you realise, oh my God, like it just all falls into one and it and it works. And, it, and it's kind of amazing how quick and efficiently it does work. It's not like, oh, I saw this on Instagram, going to give it a go. We should realise that, oh my God, this actually works and I don't need to buy in this spray. I don't need to put down slug pellets and, and little things like that. There's, there's ways around it. But And I'm talking really fast and I'm jabbering like on. It. But the third one, the third one, mate, is also having, like, I'm very, very lucky. Next to the patch, there's like a big moat going around like the um, lady's house and there's loads of ducks, there's loads of frogs, there's loads of newts on the farm. So it's about harnessing space for them, whether you don't have a pond, but you can make like a bug hotel and maybe like an area where they, it's like almost damp. So like you're getting slow worms come in, you're attracting those guys, um, frogs, have like a really tiny pond, maybe a butler's sink and get some spawn in, have the frogs um, in your garden to then eat the slugs. And, um, and a perfect permaculture quote as well, which I love is you don't have a slug problem. You have a duck deficiency. <laughs> yep. So it's about, <laughs> so it. it's about just filling in that gap in the food chain because ultimately there is, if something's going crazy, like slugs, where's its predator? And it's about bringing that predator to your system to realise, to give that harmony balance. Yeah, I love that. All three of those. And, and I think something that, that runs through that is having the patience to, to sort of see that through as well. I mean, I think it was you and I, I spoke to you and Danny when I had a massive mole problem last year. Um, Danny from Lawson's Market Garden. I'm sure we'll have him on the podcast soon. But um, I had a mole problem. They were coming up every day, knocking two or three courgette plants just straight out of the ground daily. And I tried everything. I tried a lot of different things. I didn't obviously didn't want to trap or, or, or harm them. Um, tried a lot of things. I tried those little children's windmills that you get at the seaside, and they just knocked them straight yeah. back out within 24 <laughs> hours. But I think it was you. It, no, yeah, they were. Them. They were. But it took like a little bit of patience. And and one of you had said to me, just wait it out just see what happens and I remember to, uh, my, my, do my dog was pregnant at the time so I had to take her out to, to go to the loo uh, walking down about I don't know 7.30 at night and these two owls just swooped down through the market garden um, scared the life out of me but from that day on for the next few months I didn't see another molehill within the market garden anyway so the the, the owls Amazing. had come they, for people that don't know owls do, do are predators to, to moles and voles um, and, and either they got them or the, or the moles and voles moved to somewhere that was a little bit more hidden in the hedgerows and, and it was fantastic and, and in actual fact I saw benefits of the moles as well because they were digging deep underneath the ground so they were doing a, a little bit of sort of natural natural ploughing for me without me doing anything to, to destroy the soil health so yeah it's it's incredible those principles you spoke about are fantastic and a lot of those those permaculture principles that you use are are around nature and and you say you haven't got animals on the farm but but you do you do you have those insects you have those yeah, worms you yeah, are yeah. essentially people say oh, i'm not a livestock farmer but i think everyone who grows is in a way um because yeah there's yeah. there's certainly billions more um animals underground well, than there are on top of yeah and, and also as well chris like people say oh you're making much of a difference but you've just made a massive difference to that ladybird living on your plot being like oh i'm in abundance of so like now i can eat all these aphids and and also the crevices in your uh plot whether you have a bug hotel or whether you have like uh, some material of wood lying about that might just be a home for it for the year so it's enjoying the environment you've mm. made. And that's what I find kind of cool about humans. We do a lot to destroy the world, but ultimately we can actually use our 
our knowledge and our manpower to like we could build a farm in like a day if you gave us 20 of us with enough materials and stuff and you, you're you're making habitat as well as taking it away we can equally make it and that's that that's the beautiful thing we can make it 10 times faster than any other animal they're all there to for the benefit but we can actually make it from scratch and and enjoying the space is something that's really key and that's something that i always say it's very few few times that you see benches scattered around a conventional agricultural farm (laughs) where you're just going to have a picnic in what is essentially 10 acres of plowed field but in any market garden that follows even a single permaculture principle people are loving sitting there and watching nature and enjoying the surroundings so yeah if you like farming you want to grow food but you also want to enjoy sitting there from time to time then even if it's with a beer yeah you're you're into the right stuff yeah definitely have a few beers on the farm cold ones always that's it um and if you're and if you're doing it for a living it doesn't matter what time but we won't talk about that (laughs) um microgreens and mushrooms and i am so inspired by what you do with container growing i wanted to just touch on that a little bit i know we're going to cover so much more of that in the future um but yeah you think shipping container you think dark dank damp slightly rotten old thing that i can pick up or you think of like one of those storage facilities that you walk through not many people think of being able to grow food in them yeah so so for me getting into this space when i come home from australia i was like really looking at any documentary vimeo had loads of little documentaries like um the brooklyn grange which is like a rooftop farm in new brooklyn uh and i was so inspired by that oh you can farm rooftops and then when i was electrician i was always working on rooftops and i was like look at all this space and it's like a carbon sink as well like I was always, always thinking of like the urban ways to grow food as well. And um, so I kind of was going down that route before I got my land. Uh, and then when I got my land, I was committed to that. But then in the winter, uh, as you well know, we have more time for DIY projects. And I was, th- I was very much into like how I can add another venture to my business and microgreens and mushrooms was one of those ventures. Uh, so luckily, uh, had a friend whose parents moved to a farm and they wanted to have shipping containers for storage. But luckily I got the one closest to that, the electric board and I got in there early. And then I just wired it up, uh, kitted it out. Um, I was kind of inspired um, by a farm in Sweden, in Malmo. They had a microgreens uh, shipping container. It's done a little bit differently, but, but yeah, you start to realise, oh, it is, this is doable. Um, it's always good to give, put the idea in your head by seeing what someone else has done, like a path that's already been laid to a degree. And then your mind goes a bit mad realising, oh, I can do this, I can do that. So that was kind of like a bit of a blueprint to follow. And then you, you start to realise you can control the temperatures in there. I've got like dehumidifiers to take moisture out of the air because they do, ultimately, once they get sealed, I have fans blowing in and out. There is dampness in the air, so not to water too much, air filter, stuff like that. But I love that I have that control of the microgreens. I can raise the temperature in there if I need to raise the temperature for when I start my tomatoes. It, it goes as a plant nursery uh, late winter and I just love that space I've got the microgreens and mushrooms the reason I've done them together is because the microgreens are producing oxygen but the mushrooms are producing the carbon dioxide so there's a counterbalance in there as well so they grow well together um, and I'm sure we'll speak about it more but these like companies like uh, grow cycle as well they do mushrooms and then got microgreens involved uh, they've got some really good free videos online. Um, uh, yeah, so I just find it a really cool space. Uh, it's a nice little uh, venture. Chefs love mushrooms. Box customers love mushrooms. Chefs love mushrooms. And, and same with the microgreens. They're a bit of a hard sell because they're not as big here as they are in America, but the more people realise how good they taste and the nutritional benefit, um, they're starting to peak. So yeah, I'm, I'm loving that space and, and I've built another one now for another, uh, for an animal sanctuary. And now I can, I know to the screw, like how these things can be built and I can set up like a, a model. Someone can buy it and, and either convert it or I can 
convert it for them and, and then charge for it. So, yeah, it's a great space. And, and then we're just making that link from what we talk about, our field produce, to the urban side of it, which I love, that connection of, like, we can grow a lot of food in the cities if we need to um, so that food doesn't travel. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And and you, I love to talk about the symbiotic relationship between the, the oxygen and the carbon dioxide from those two different um, pieces of produce. It's, it's just incredible. And it's another thing that, that shows that you can, you don't, yeah, you don't even need a window to grow. You, you can grow absolutely anywhere. And, and I'm sure there are shipping containers on the back of industrial estates everywhere and I, I love the the fact that you've put one in at an animal sanctuary as well that's given them an extra sort of string to their bow and an extra piece of revenue right yeah so the uh, extra piece of revenue they've got a restaurant that is like non-profit that helps the farm so the produce nice. can go there um and ultimately as well with the microgreens if you're growing soil uh, the microgreen trays, uh, once the microgreens are harvested, you make a big pile. They've got chickens there. They've got pigs there. They've got uh, ducks, goats, horses, cows. They mm. love microgreens. They love eating um, all the residue. And then you can make a compost heap as well. You're going to have a really good quality soil that if you do want to grow food, if Serge do want to grow food on the sanctuary, they're, they're making their own compost as well. Amazing. Yeah, and, that, and that's a it's a win-win it's a triple win really because if you if you're waiting for some space um you there would be no more powerful thing to turn up to a bit of space turn up to your allotment turn up to that piece of land you got with some compost you've already made <laughs> with some really fertile compost like some yes. of us have to wait yeah a year or two whilst we're farming to build up that organic matter so yeah that's it's just incredible so many wins there um, I'm aware of time, so I just want to touch on uh, what your plans are for this year, really. Uh, so this year is potentially like my last year at the current patch. Um, so really going to go out with a bang. Um, it's only due to some like roadworks that I have to look at moving on. Um, but I always see it as a chance for like a, a new project, like bigger and better. I can get potentially some more land to just... Um, uh, kind of do some extra projects that I've got in my head as well, some bigger polytunnels, um, uh, grow some different types of produce uh, and, and really flex the permaculture muscle, like a uh, hergel culture, like if there's land that has like felled trees, buried a tree and mound up and you can grow at height. Um, yeah, th there's loads of techniques and things I want to do, like maybe even turn a shipping container into half shipping container, half greenhouse as well. Um, it just there is, I think there's just can kind of like with a new space, more land, flex that more ideas, and then you can ultimately have more people on your land to like do tours, do workshops as well, which would be great. Um, but this year, I've honestly loved the space I'm at. I absolutely love it. It's such a such a beautiful piece of land. Um, and to see it develop over the last few years has been amazing. But this year, I really feel like, I feel like by third year of farming, you really feel like you have it down. Like you've had first years, like trial and error, second year, you might have some more issues. Um, but then by third year, I really feel comfortable now. Uh, like you know your space really well and you know what works, what doesn't work as well. Because over the two years, I'm still trialing produce that. I shouldn't have been growing like with quarter of an acre. You shouldn't grow, shouldn't be growing squash, and uh, they're just taking up too much space. You need to like, I need to be thinking of every square foot. And this year, I'm just growing more of the like crops that are going to give me a lot more for my butt. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, mate. I've got the new strawberry planters out, which uh, I've just done a real one, um, which anyone can do and buy and. Uh, and I think they're going to be cool. Um, so it's like a, a little bit of like an urban farming project on the farm. Um, new varieties of like tomatoes, um, peppers and chilies. N loads of herbs this year. Loads of herbs. And I'm doing them in uh, big buckets, like big buckets of mint. And, say, and I'm moving them around the farm. So like, so for the like deal and mint, I'll move around the farm for pests. And then potentially I could take those, any perennial crops with me as well to the next space. 
But yeah, man, just excited to grow again this year. We've had a long, long winter. It's still <laughs> going on <laughs> in a way that we we uh, we're, we're desperate for sp- like a proper spring and a good summer, good autumn, and then yeah, just just really enjoy my space for this year. Love it, absolutely love it. Um, and it's been it's been really sort of inspiring to hear your story, the background, and and the principles that are important to you. I'm going to put you on the spot now. Um, so throughout this podcast, we want to have to, to sort of end it with some sort of quick fire questions that we ask all of our guests. Now, I'm not promising these are always going to be the, the, the same questions because they're obviously going to change a little bit as we go through. But I've got a few that I'd like to fire at you, if that's all right. Yeah, go for it. Cool. Right. Our quick fire questions then. Your best tool? Uh, iPhone. iPhone. Wow. Yeah. Oh, because I see that as a tool on the farm. That's the yeah. marketing tool. And uh, yeah, you might not expect that answer. You might mean physical tool, but I see that as like my biggest tool. Oh man, marketing and organisation. Love it. Absolutely love it. Favourite crop to grow? Um, tomatoes. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say tomatoes because it's a long wait, but it's so worth it in the end. And you won't taste anything better than a homegrown, no, tomato, no, a proper no, grown no. tomato. Uh, the crop that makes you the most money. Ooh. Oh, it, you know what? I would say tomatoes potentially, but I actually think courgettes. Uh, oh, oh, actually, that's a lie. Microgreens. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, when I've got the sales for microgreens, then definitely microgreens. But um, field produce, I'm actually shocked how much money I get out of a courgette because I don't just get the courgette, I get the flour as well so it's a two crops in one potentially three crops in one if you have the courgette with the flour as well some chefs like that 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 as well love it yeah three crops in one the crop you love but you don't make much money from oh oh oh, mm, mm. Oh, peas Mm. um i just never feel like i can grow enough to like get the money i want back but um I, I love peas. I think fresh peas are just the most underrated thing ever. Yeah. Um, if you pop them out of the pod and eat them, they're just nothing like you're ever going to eat from frozen. So um, I kind of wish I'd got, uh, I could get more for my buck for that because I feel like they're such a high value crop, but you, they're, they're not at the same time um, when you actually price them up. It would be great though, wouldn't it? It would be great if we mm. could make that work, put Mr. Green Giant out of business. I mean. <laughs> um Here's the final one then. If you could take only three of the food items you grow onto a desert island and that's all you could eat for an entire year, what would you take? Potatoes. Mm. Staple. Yep. Mm, that's a great question. Squash. Like like good, good squash. Like mm. you can make loads of different things out of it. Oh, oh God. This is a good question. Wow. <laughs> and maybe, yeah, it's got to be tomatoes, maybe because you can like do loads of stuff with them, dehydrate them. Well, oh no, corn, sweet corn. I mm. think that's the most underrated crop ever. Like, I don't actually grow much of it. It's, it grows on the allotment. So I, like, I gave to my dad, but uh, fresh sweet corn on a barbecue on a tropical island. I'll be loving that. I'm loving that idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you on that. You've got the staple, you've got something that's versatile and you've got something that's just, yeah, perfect for a desert island. So, yeah, Jack, thanks very much for, for chatting and I'm so excited to be taking on this podcast journey with you and, and, and chatting to, to what's going to be some truly inspiring growers. Yeah, totally, mate. I think it's very timely, um, this podcast is about, and I just hope everyone listens, everyone gets really inspired by not just like our stories, but the amazing people that we've got lined up for the podcast as well, because there's people coming from all backgrounds, all different types of growing, uh, as we said, microgreens, mushrooms, on the field grow allotments, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I'm really buzzing for it, mate. I'm really looking forward to the journey fantastic look if you uh want to drop any questions to us or anything please do um follow jack's patch on instagram or i'm across at at fanfield farm this is the first episode of the podcast so often by the time it's launched it'll have its own social media but 
grab us on there if you do have any follow-up questions to this episode as always hit that subscribe button on any place you listen to a podcast and i'm going to ask for a little favor look it's the first episode i know you don't want to be doing anything after this but i'm going to ask for a favor anyway if you can just drop a little five-star review and a little little sentence underneath on any way you listen to your podcast look it massively helps it helps not only us but it helps get the word out about this podcast which hopefully will inspire people to grow more food and, and we need that uh, definitely mate and, and also planet beneficial as well we, we we're all uh we need to be moving towards a more regenerative positive future and it, the more people that grow the more people we can have cool dinners with the more people we can feed and the more outreach we can do we can bring the prices of big organic down as well once we make that convenience of food better quality food then i think everyone wins so by listening to this subscribing to it and leaving that review you're going to make your own food cheaper so it's a win-win in it right <laughs> <laughs> yeah mate <laughs> Cool. Thanks so much, Jack. I've put you through the paces on this episode. So if you're listening, do tune into the next one where Jack's going to put me through the paces um, and put me on the spot with some of those quickfire questions as well. So thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.